the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Friday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And as you know by now, this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to answering your Bible questions. We do that preferably, you calling the questions in. Uh, We'll answer anything and everything that that you need to be answered. 340, let me start with the area code I keep forgetting. 210-340-9585 is the number. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now button. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time with the main number, 340-9585. Hey, because it's Friday, I get excited every Friday because we've got the weekend starts. And for at least my schedule, this is... This is when we really get busy on the weekends. Tonight, I'm going to be teaching the book of Philemon uh, in the New Testament. And then on Sunday, of course, we are in our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Luke. We're starting uh, chapter 9 this week. It really begins, uh, I think, the first 17 verses is what we're going to be doing. So uh, lots going on, really, really good Bible studies. Wherever it is that you go to church Go there this week, offer your body as a living sacrifice. Ask the Lord to provide some divine appointments for you. Ask him to show you who needs to be loved on, who needs to be cheered up or encouraged, and then offer yourself to do it. I promise you it will be a wonderful blessing, and not just for them, but for you as well. Um, I had some one other thing. Ooh, see, it's a terrible part about getting old. Okay, I'm going to start the program. I have a special treat for you. Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. So in that spirit, I have something to give you as we begin the program today. Um, Jocelyn Enriquez, who has been on this program with her husband, Pastor Elaine, who is our worship pastor. uh, She is next week, early next week, releasing her new Christmas single. And we're going to play it for you on the air now. Uh, This uh, song will be available uh, for anybody who wants it on all of the normal outlets for music. Uh, we hope by Monday. We're actually hoping that it would be today, but but it looks now more like Monday of next week. And uh, we just want you to It's called Mary's Song. Uh, the music is all original. In fact, the music was written by uh, Jocelyn's son, Matthew. Uh, and he also did the arrangement. And I think you're really, really going to be blessed. So what a great way to start off our program today. Here is the song. I was free. 
that's my Christmas gift to all of you. Uh, the song will be out on all of the the normal. I don't even know what they are. All of the normal music outlets. I'm old enough that you have to you used to have to go to a record store to buy a record. Uh, but it'll be out. We hope on Monday. Uh, the song is called Mary's Song. And the artist is Jocelyn Enriquez, E-N-R-I-Q-U-E-Z. And I just thought that would be a great gift for you. You know, the best thing about Joss is her heart. Uh, She's been on the program before, as I mentioned before we played the song. Um, Jocelyn is one of those people that God reached out and touched, took her out of the the secular world. She was a big pop star um, back in the 90s, dance music. Um, and God had different plans for her, and now she uses that voice for Jesus. And uh, I, I just think that's a great, great song. So that's her brand new Christmas single, Mary's Song by Jocelyn Enriquez. It is available if you are interested on Monday. Okay, let's get to questions and do the regular thing on our program. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is my first question. It comes from our mobile app from Chip. He says, I know that we're not to carry around guilt if we've repented. Was Paul carrying guilt when he wrote Romans 7, 18 to 24? Or is that Paul showing us the inner battles of a man of God? Uh, Chip, I think it was just Paul showing us his own struggles, whether he's a man of God or not. Every man has those battles. What I want to do, I can't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. Every single human who struggle with doing what they um, know they're not supposed to or not doing what they know they're supposed to understands that. Now you have to understand for the value of this to really hit home chip, you've got to understand that this is sort of the end of Paul's case. He's got this perfect legal case going on for the depravity of man, for for our need uh, for Jesus. The only way to heaven is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And just when this is over, at the end of chapter 7, he's going to then go right into chapter 8, which is the chapter about life in the Spirit. It helps us, especially with questions like this, if we remember that the chapter and verse divisions were not inspired by Scripture. Uh, inspired by God, rather. Um, that's just help us find where things are more easily. Uh, and so it's just one continuous letter. And Paul was simply saying that that even the great apostle Paul, and this is a very personal, autobiographical description of the same things that you go through or the same things that I go through. Paul struggled, we know, with pride. We know he struggled with pride because there was a messenger from Satan that was allowed to buffet him in the flesh. I think if you read his epistles enough, you... You get a tone that he struggled with being frustrated with his critics and and those who would pervert the word of God. And I think he he wanted to love them. I think sometimes it was hard. In Galatians, he writes, I wish they'd go all the way and emasculate themselves. Uh, He talks about the Judaizers, the legalizers. So um, he had his own struggles. They're not the same as my struggles or your struggles, Chip. But we had the struggles. And here's what he says at the very end of that. You, you cut off at verse 24. But verse 25 is really the key that takes us into the chapter on life in the spirit. It's who can rescue me from this body of death. And then he says with a pause, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. In other words, he's the rescuer. And that same rescuer is available for every one of us. When we get in our flesh, when we're responding in our flesh rather than in the spirit, Jesus is right there to sort of take your hand and take you into life in the spirit. So you're right. We're not to carry around guilt. If you've genuinely repented, the sin is done. It's as far from you as east is from west. But it is important that we understand the nature of our flesh. And I won't speak for the Apostle Paul Chip. I'll just speak for me. My flesh stinks so bad that even after being a pastor for these 23 and a half years, Uh, answering Bible questions for six and a half years on this program. Uh, If I'm in my flesh, if I get some distance between me and Jesus, I can do every evil thing I've ever done. My flesh isn't one bit better than it was 28 years ago when I gave my heart to Jesus. So the key is not to get in the flesh, not to let the flesh have its way, but instead to walk in the power of the Spirit. Who can rescue me, Pastor Ron, from this body of death? It's Jesus Christ. And 
Paul says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. So those are the inner battles, the inner struggles, Chip, that we all have. Unfortunately, there are some who, who, who try to elevate Paul to a position where, oh, no, he wasn't talking about his life or, or that was before he got saved because the Apostle Paul couldn't have those kind of struggles. We all do, and to deny that sets us up for conflict with the enemy of our souls. So, Chip, I hope that helps your, your um, uh, hope that answer helps. Here is a question from our email inbox. This one is from uh, P. Michael. Hello, Pastor On. Good day, and I hope you and Paul are in good health and spirits. We are. Thank you. Um, I have a question after reading 1 Corinthians. The first five verses, or 1 Corinthians 5, verses 11 through 13, uh, I'm curious as to what your thoughts are on Paul instructing fellow saints to expel someone from the church. Is this something we should be doing today? If this is his direction, should all of us be expelled at one point or another as we're all guilty of sin? And finally, am I taking this out of context? I pray every day that our Heavenly Father continues to bless you, Paul and Calvary Chapel. Uh, thank you so much for, for your continued prayers. It means a lot. Before I answer your question, let me ask uh, our radio audience for continued prayer. We have one of our dear ones uh, in, in a very, very grave, serious surgery. Uh, her name is Raina. That's all you need to know. Um, hopefully she's about out of the surgery today. Uh, we're getting really, really good reports, but I would appreciate it. It would be a personal favor if you would, every time the Lord brings her to heart and mind throughout this weekend, would you just pray for Raina? Um, we've watched her suffer and struggle for so long, and continued prayer means more than you than you can possibly know. Um 1 Corinthians 5 is a passage of scripture that a lot of us are familiar with. And in this passage, there is a man in Corinth who's being pointed out by Paul. Uh, He should have been pointed out by the church leaders in Corinth, but they've sort of turned their, their heads away from his sin. But it's a man who is living in sexual immorality with his mother in law. So it's 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 uh, uh, has his father's wife. Evidently, the the man's father is gone. So he takes up with her. And Paul says, "How can you do these things?" He scolds the church at Corinth. How can you turn a blind eye to this sin? No, put him out of the church. In fact, Paul goes so far as to say, "I've already handed such a man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh." And the encouragement to the church is we've got to walk in holiness. Now, by putting him out of the church, now let me skip to the end here. uh, Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we can go and find out that the discipline inflicted work. Remember, the purpose of discipline, church discipline, is always restoration, reconciliation. And that's exactly what happens. So Paul's methods work. So... um, Paul is instructing fellow saints to expel someone from the church. It is something that we should be doing today, but we're only talking about willful sin. The man or the woman who knows what they're doing is wrong and they do it anyway, and yet they still find comfort or they try to find comfort in the church, in fellowship with other believers. Paul says, no, get rid of him, have nothing to do with him. It's The idea is that Paul wants this man and He wants people throughout the centuries to be left on their own to deal with the consequences of sin in the hopes that their soul would be restored. He said the destruction of the flesh, but that his soul might be raised up on that day. Paul was always thinking eternally. So we should practice this kind of church discipline in our culture. Um... The problem, of course, is that when somebody is in willful sin, churches are on every corner and there's such large churches now that it's easy to go in and just blend into another church. We've had people leave our church who refuse to sin. They, they made that choice on their own uh, and, and they just find another church to go to and all the while pretending that everything is going to be OK. With regard to if all of us should be expelled at one point or another because we're all guilty of sin, the answer is no. There's a process also given to us in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Uh, also in Matthew chapter 18, um, as, as brothers and sisters in the Lord, we've got to go to these people who are in sin and lovingly confront them. 
We want the best for them. We hope the Spirit of God has touched their heart and they're ready to repent. They're ready to turn from sin. But if they're not and they refuse, then he says, take two more, Jesus does. Two or three. And and again, confront him or her lovingly. If they then refuse, then it's time to tell it to the church. Then it's time to make them an object of church discipline. It is so difficult to do things that that on the surface are so simple, but in our lit- litigious uh, church culture, in fact, just our litigious culture uh, anywhere, litigious, I guess, is the right pronunciation, um, um, you know, people sue you. People don't want to rock the boat. We, we don't want to deal with unpleasant things. But if we really love people, we've got to, to exercise church discipline. So uh, it's a matter of willful sin. We give people a chance to repent. We confront them in love. If they don't, then with each step, the discipline gets more. One of the things I can say to you, we've, we've uh, not had to do this publicly at Calvary Chapel. Um, we've had to do it a few times privately. Um, there are always some people involved that brought the, the situation to us. Um, but uh, in most cases, the people, uh, when they're no longer welcome here at the church, they repent, they get right with God. And then, of course, as Paul instructs them to do in Second Corinthians chapter 2, then we welcome them back in the fellowship as brothers or sisters and it's all the sweeter. So reconciliation, restoration is always the focus. Great, great question. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. we got five minutes left in this part of the program. Uh, Darren, or Darrell, rather, I'm sorry. Darrell wants to know, what biblical support is there for church membership? Um, Darrell, I'm sort of uh, the odd man out on this one because I don't think there's any. And when you say church membership, I'm assuming that you mean that we go through um, a church process, we become members of the church, we make commitments to give, we do all those things. Uh, there is zero biblical support at all for that. Zero. Some people say in First Corinthians, we're all members of one body, but that doesn't support our current or modern uh, construction of church membership. I really believe with all of my heart, and I can't judge anybody's heart, so this is just me thinking out loud. But I think church membership developed so that we could, one, control people. Two, we could control what they give. We could obligate them to give, which is a violation of what Paul tells us in his second letter to the Corinthians. Uh, We could keep better track of them, knowing when they're here or when they're not here. And we could force him to agree to submit to church discipline. Um, I I just don't think there's any biblical warrant at all for that. Uh, I think we should be members, Daryl, of a local church. Um, Here at Calvary Chapel, we don't have any church membership. We don't have church roles. We don't have everybody's names and phone numbers and email addresses available for others to go get. Uh, In fact, we have people all the time who say, uh, well, I liked it here. What do I have to do to become a member? I always jokingly, but kind of half seriously say, well, how many times have you been here? Well, this is my second time. Hey, we already thought you were a member. And and we're interested in getting people to, to become members of the body of Christ. We would never ask somebody what they make. We would never say, are you willing to give a certain percentage of that income to us? I would never say to somebody when they first met us, are you willing to accept our church discipline? And yet we do all of those things in the sense of, of, of taking care of the people and watching out for the people. But I think personally, Daryl, that to do that, um, the way it's done in our modern church culture uh, is simply a lack of faith. So again, there are more churches that will disagree with me that agree with me. I also think that there is some false security in being a church member. You know, we hear all the time somebody say, well, I got thousands and thousands of members. Yeah, but how many people come to church? Well, 300. Well, 
The church is an active body. And we need everybody. One of the things that I try to communicate constantly in the teaching here at Calvary Chapel is that the people need me. I'm the mouthpiece. I get to teach the Bible. But I need them as well. And there's always people in the body who are going through something they've already been through. And there's somebody in the body who's already been through something they're going through right now. And we can comfort one another with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. The, the, the local church is more important than I can communicate. We are the bride of Christ. Not just Calvary Chapel, but the local church. And for a Christian or a professing Christian to ignore Paul's admonition to not forsake the assembly together of the saints is a real, real mistake. It puts us in a dangerous place. You know, with all the technology that we have available to us, we're thinking all the time about, well, you know, I can watch the service online. I don't have to get out of bed. But you can't be ministered to by anybody and you can't minister to anyone that way. We've got to get to that place where we start thinking and remembering that the church is not for us. We're there to be the church. Hope that helps, Daryl. We've got 30 minutes left in the program. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. We have 30 minutes left. Hey, by the way, a week from today is our kids' Christmas play. We'll talk about it more next week. It's going to be the Judson High School Performing Arts Center. It's one of my favorite days of the year. So that's next Friday. I think it's starting at 630 Uh, in the evening, and it's free. We don't charge anything, but um, believe me, it's worth paying for. You just don't have to. Jesus already paid. Here is a question from Danny. He says, Pastor, my question is about Michael Pearl. Do you know anything about him, and would you recommend his teaching? Danny, listen very closely. No, no, a thousand times no. Um, I was introduced. Um, um, You know, there's things that go through the church. And I'm going to guess this was 10 or 12 years ago, there was a book on child raising. I can't, the name escapes me right now, but it was by Michael and Debbie Pearl. And people were just giving it to everybody. Oh, this book is so good. This is the way we ought to raise our kids. I got one look at this book and said, anybody who would raise their children like this knows nothing of the nature of the heart of God. So um, I know that Michael Pearl is a King James only guy. I know that he's very legalistic. Um, uh, I, I have no doubt that he's a believer, uh, but his teaching is just so far out there. Um, and it's just it's so strange. If you have a Michael Pearl book, and especially if you have the one on raising children, um, throw it away. Don't give it to anybody. Just throw it. The, the, thank you. My producer just said the, the, uh, book is titled to train up a child, um, you want to raise a child, you love that child, you show them who Jesus is. Yeah, you've got to be disciplined and you, you've got to teach about consequences, but, but um, this guy misrepresents the heart of God. So Danny, stay completely away from anything that is written by Michael or Debbie Pearl. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Ricky. Uh, do you think Isaiah had more than one author? I have a colleague who argues that Isaiah is a collection of writings rather than the prophecies of just one man. Um, Ricky, um, about the middle of the 19th century, um, there were people who were starting to sort of dig into uh, what's called higher criticism. Uh, in, in the middle of the 20th century, it was full-blown, um, you know, well, you know, let's examine the facts. And 
Uh, in fact, um, th- those those um, liberal scholars, and they're very, very liberal scholars, uh, they have concluded that Isaiah was written by at least three different authors and maybe as many as five or six different authors. And the idea is that, well, there's different uh, sections. Everybody acknowledges that Isaiah uh, has two sections, chapters 1 through 39 and then chapter 40 through the end of the book, chapter 66. Um, There are different purposes of the writing, so there's a little bit of different language used. But here's the thing that we need to know, Ricky. Jesus quoted from both sections of Isaiah liberally. In fact, Isaiah was Jesus' favorite book. He quoted from it more than any of the others. And uh, other than Deuteronomy, he quoted from Deuteronomy a lot. But Isaiah, the prophet, was the prophet that he quoted from more than any other. And he quoted from different times, different chapters, beginning, middle, and end, and in all three cases, he said, the prophet Isaiah writes. So, unless you know, unless your colleague knows more than Jesus, Isaiah was written by the man we know as Isaiah. Uh, Ricky, just for your information, um, the first, uh, we do Old Testament here on Wednesday nights, the first Wednesday of the new year, we're going to be uh, rolling out our Bible study in the prophecy of Isaiah. I, it's it's the one book I haven't taught yet. Uh, frankly, it is so huge and, and intimidating that I've been reluctant to teach it, but the Lord's sort of been dragging me on, do this, do this. So the first Wednesday in uh, 2019, we're going to be starting the book of Isaiah, and I can promise you there's only one author um, unless you count the Holy Spirit, there's two, Isaiah and the Holy Spirit. But it was written by Isaiah. What a wonderful, wonderful man with a wonderful heart. A bold man. Seems to have been sort of a privileged man. Um, sort of an aristocrat. And um, um, I think we're going to enjoy it. problem with it, sometimes it gets a little tedious just because there's so much judgment. <laughs> Let's go to Jimmy calling on line one from San Antonio. Jimmy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Oh, I have this testimony. But um, today I was going back from patrol, and I was in Church, Texas, and I was passing through, um, uh, passing through, coming back on 35, and I passed by O'Connor. But about 10 years ago, my daughter used to dance uh, ballet philodical, you know, flamingo dancing, and we're mm-hmm. and I had her, and she was dancing at this church with some other uh, friends of hers, girls. And so after we finished, we came back outside, and one of the dad's uh, vans had a flat tire, a left front tire. And so I went to go help him, and I fixed to fix it. So we jacked it up, and I put, and, I, and so I, I put my head underneath the, uh, the van to go look at something real quick. And the mother told her, uh, the, the, or the wife says, you know what, if I were you, I would take my head from underneath that van. And if I was stubborn and didn't listen to her, I would have been dead that day. But I listened. I listened to her, and I moved. And within 15 seconds, that jack fell. Oh, my goodness. I would have been crushed. So, you know, it was like, uh, you know, there's there's the moment of the story is there's times I ask God, you know, how much I want to be at home with him in heaven, right? And uh, and I know someday I will be, but yeah. he was showing. It's like when I passed through there, he, he he this thing came across my mind, and like he was showing me, look, Jimmy, you're gonna be at home with me someday, but it's not your time yet. And <laughs> and uh, and he said it was like he was speaking to my heart, saying that I showed you this because I spared your life so many times that this is how important your life is to me. Bless your heart, Jimmy. Thank you for that, Jimmy. You know, we men, we're sometimes so stubborn. No, I got this. It's okay. You know, every time I crawl under a car and fix it, um, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing at myself because I can't fix anything. But, um, you know, it, it would have been easy to say, no, it's, it's okay. But um, see, the Lord spared your life. He was with you. He's not done with you. 
What a wonderful, wonderful testimony. Jimmy, thank you. God bless. Amen. Thank you. Bye-bye. 340-9585. Mike wants to know, Pastor Ron, are you an old earth or young earth proponent? Also, how old were Adam and Eve when they were created? Mike, I am a young earth proponent, I believe, and there's no way to prove this, so uh, don't try to figure out how I'm coming up with this. Um, but but I believe the earth is between 7,000 and 10,000 years old. Um, um, I don't believe in a gap theory. Uh, I don't believe that that uh, the earth sat around uninhabited for um, hundreds of thousands or millions of years. Um, I just take the Bible at face value. Um, I think the reason that we come up with 7,000 to 10,000 years is because even though there are holes in the genealogies, uh, it's not that difficult to follow the history. Uh, What's more important than young or old is... Uh, a literal interpretation of Genesis, the first 11 chapters in particular. Um, So I'm a young earth proponent, uh, unashamedly, um, and I think um, um, arguing about it is of very little value, except as it relates to the literal interpretation of the first chapters of Genesis. Regarding how old Adam and Eve were when they were created, all we know is they were the perfect age. We don't know what that was. They were old enough to to be fruitful and multiply. Uh, They weren't uh, created as babies. Uh, They weren't created as old people. So whatever is perfect, I I like to imagine that however old they were is how old we'll be when we get to heaven. That'll be the condition of our our new glorified bodies. Um, But we don't know. One of the one of the the arguments that, that old Earth people are are dealing with is well well why does carbon dating and say that that we're millions of years old or or the the evidence is that the Earth has been around forever and ever and ever um, well when God made the Earth He could have made it exactly the same way He made Adam and Eve rather than infants He created them as grown adults in the prime of their life again whatever that is. Uh, God doesn't need to explain to me. I remember years ago, Mike, there was a a big, big flood. It was one of those, um, you know, 100-year rain events that we have in San Antonio seemingly every five years. And um, uh, a dam broke, and um, it, it created a whole new um, geography in the area where it broke up near one of the dams by the lake. And afterwards, people going out there and looking at it and um, you know, all I could think about looking at is, man, this looks like this has been here for for a million years, but it's brand new. God could have done exactly the same thing. So I am a young earth proponent. Uh, I'm personally very convinced. Uh, and yet um, it's not one of those things that we would split over if somebody said, well, I believe the earth is much older than that. My only concern is that we take a literal interpretation of Genesis. Let me add one other thing here, Mike. I believe that we we really need to believe, uh, I, I believe this is uh, uh, an essential part of our faith, that Adam and Eve were the first two people who ever occupied this earth. Not Piltdown Man, not Lucy, not Neanderthals, Adam and Eve created in God's image were the first two people who ever walked this earth, both of them made by the finger of God. Adam made from nothing. Eve taken out of the side of Adam. The rest of the people that were born in this world were born as a part of the process of of creation that God gave Adam and Eve. But those two created by the finger of God, if in fact that's not true, then everything that we believe is not true. So it's very important. Thank you for that, Mike. Here is a question from Amber. She says, does God give some people a special ability to heal others? Amber, um, I think the way you're thinking about it, the answer is no. There's not a man or a woman that we watch on TV pretending to heal people who is given this wonderful healing anointing and can go and do these big crusades and have people give a lot of money in the offerings and he's going to make them well. 
Um, that's just uh, Barnum and Bailey stuff. Uh, unfortunately, the church has bought into it, and we have made a lot of people rich with these phony healing anointings. However, Amber, there are some times when uh, God will give someone an anointing to heal. It will be done quietly or even privately. All of the glory will go to God. Um, but it's not one person. The gifts of healing that are given to us, uh, most notably identified for us in, in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. Gifts of healing. Gift is plural. It's not I give one man the gift to heal others, but gifts of healing, those who receive healing are the ones who have received the gift. So he does not give some people a special anointing or special ability to heal other people. That's just um, theatrics, and unfortunately, it's really, really bad teaching, and it's hurt a lot of people. So I hope that... Uh, and they get rich in the process. So, Amber, I hope that helps. You know, Amber, one of the things that I've always done, I, I, I'm a pastor. I go to hospitals a lot. And, um, you know, I like to talk to people in the hospitals that I don't know. Um, uh, you have the opportunity to pray for them. People are pretty serious when they're in hospitals. So uh, almost nobody says no. They don't want to be prayed for. And it gives me a chance to talk to them about Jesus. But... Um, I remember especially one day at the Children's Hospital uh, in downtown. I was walking through that, and I just thought, Lord, why why won't you give me this gift to heal right now? Just a walk. I won't say anything. I won't draw any attention to myself. Just walk down the halls and, and let, let people in the in the rooms get healed. Let these kids have a chance in life. Uh, and, and I was never so close to the, 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 the cursed world that we live in is that I just thought of all those kids who could be helped and my prayer has always been, Lord, use me to do that. Use me to heal, but make sure you get all the glory, and I'll just be quiet and go out. Um, but but that's just typically not the way he works. Hope that helps, Amber. Here is a question from Ray in San Antonio on line two. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Here I am calling Hi, late again. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, it's before Saturday, so that's good. Um, when you were on the subject of, you know, young earth, old earth, and I, I, it, it just flashed in my mind that as a young kid, one of the things that impressed me a lot was that, well, you know that the, the light you got right there from the sun is taking seven years to come to us, you know, the vast distance and all. But that's, I, I wondered if you have any uh, knowledge or comment about, I think it's called the Creation Museum here in Texas somewhere around, and, and I've not been there or anything, but I wonder if you have anything to say about that one, and I'll listen on the radio. Okay, Ray, thank you. I can make this one really easy. No, I don't, I don't have time to go to museums and... And stuff. So, um, Ray, I get all of my information on creation from the pages of Genesis, uh, from the Gospel of John, uh, and, and honestly, I, 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 I believe what the Bible teaches us. Um, so, uh, I, I really don't have any interest. Now, I'm not suggesting that there's no value in going to museums. Um, uh, there's the Institute of Creation Research, which is is a, a wonderful resource for scientific resource for um, questions that people have and explanations of of things. But the only thing that matters to me is that our Bible begins with in the beginning God. If you believe those words, the rest of it seems to be really simple. And I personally don't like to clutter uh, people's minds with anything other than the challenge. Do you believe in the beginning God? Do you believe that there was nothing that has been made that wasn't made through him? As we're told in the pages of Scripture. One of the things we're going to be starting the first Friday uh, in the new year in the book of Hebrews. And one of the opening statements sets Jesus out as creator God. 
And um, when he created it all, he said, let there be light. And there was light. Everything was beautiful. And he pronounced it good. And when he got to day six and he made mankind, he made Adam, he made Eve. And he said, everything is very good. And that's all we need to believe. So I apologize, Ray. I just, uh, I'm not one for going chasing uh, Dr. Dino or or any of the other guys. Uh, I'm pretty well convinced of, of what the scriptures have taught us. Here is a question from Ted. Ted, I can tell you've been seduced by false teaching. Here's the question. How can you tell everyone that God loves them if you don't know if they are elect by God? Um, Ted, here's how I can tell them. And I want you, this is a very, very deep thing I'm going to say. It is irrefutable proof that God loves everybody. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes would not perish but have everlasting life. We need no more authority than that. God is love, we're told elsewhere in Scripture. We need no more authority than that. You see, here's the thing that God has done that that we humans can't wrap our heads around. God said it, but then he proved it, and he proved it by sending his son to die for us. He didn't have to. You see, God loving us is a choice he made in eternity past, and it has absolutely nothing to do with our circumstances or things that are going on, or whether we're elect or not elect. When I said it appears by your question you've been seduced by false teaching, this is a sort of a Calvinist argument that says, well, you know, if you don't know they're chosen, you can't tell them God loves them because God loves the elect. That's not what the Bible says. For God so loved the world. The world can never be translated into elect. It is true that election is a biblical doctrine. But the basis upon God's election, God's choice, is given us clearly in Scripture, Romans 8, 29, 1 Peter chapter 1, the first verse and a half. We are elect by the foreknowledge of God. What that means very simply, Ted, is that God knows who's going to choose him back. He knows everything. He lives outside of time and space. The end and the beginning are the same to God. And for me personally, this is why Romans 8.29 is so important for me. I realized even when I first got saved that God loved me when I hated him. He loved me when I was blaspheming him. He loved me when I was being a miserable human being to Paula, the, the woman he now calls precious. And yet no matter how I behaved, no matter the horrible things that I said or did, He never once changed his mind about loving me. Why? Because he knew that that day in February of 1991 was coming when this sinner was going to fall on his face on a public street in Upland, California and surrender his heart to Jesus. And he met me right there that day. I was running away from home. I only got a block and a half away. And he met me right there and proved that his love had always been fixed upon me. Unlike humans, when people treat us badly or when humans disappoint us, we humans write them off. God never did. He was always there. He was always close. And then finally, Ted, when I met him, when I met him, I knew that he'd always been chasing me. I could look back and see his hand in my life, even when I denied he was real. So, Ted, throw away the Calvinist junk. God knows who's going to say yes. God knows who's going to say no. And his elect are those who say yes. But he proved that he loves everyone. Undeniably, he proved that he loves everyone. Don't change words in your Bible. For God so loved the world. We have a couple of minutes left. Um, Here's a question from Edward I can answer. That's Ron, what is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Uh, Edward, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the only unforgivable sin, is the continual rejecting of Jesus Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit drawing us to Jesus, 
the continual rejecting of Jesus Christ unto death. When we die, having not accepted Jesus Christ, having not repented of our sins, then there's no remedy for sin left. And that's when we have committed that unpardonable sin because there's no other alternative. So if we understand that, it means that whatever you've done, whatever's going on in your life, no matter how evil you think it is, every sin is forgivable. One of the reasons, by the way, Edward, that that we Christians are, it's impossibly a proponent of, of euthanasia or mercy killing, is because we're not showing mercy to somebody by putting out of their physical pain or physical misery in this life. If they don't know Jesus Christ, they're going to enter into an infinitely greater terror the minute they step into eternity. Luke chapter 16, I'm in torment in this fire, the rich man said. And so we're not doing anybody a favor by convincing ourselves, no, there's no more pain. They're finally at peace. If they didn't know Jesus, they're not. And as long as they still have life, there's a chance they can receive Jesus Christ. When that chance is gone, well, then eternity, the decision has been made. So I hope that answers your question. I can do one more real quick one because it's kind of connected. This one comes from Eve. Um, are all sins forgivable? Um, even yours. Now, Eve, your name is Eve. So even your sin <laughs> of choosing the wrong tree to eat from is forgivable. Yes, all sin is forgivable and God is eager and excited to forgive. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Remember, um, we hope on Monday the song that we played at the beginning of the program is coming out. Uh, Jocelyn Enriquez, the song is called Mary's Song. Have a great weekend at church. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back Monday on AM 630 The Word. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.